Good afternoon and welcome to the Medical Sports Nutrition Podcast with myself, Dr Andy Matheson. As normal, we'll be running through a few articles, not so many today, uh, too many distractions over Christmas and New Year. Um, I hope everyone's had a good time and um, been able to get some time off work, or if you have been working, you've uh, been thanked for, for pushing on through and slogging on through during the holidays. So the first article that we're going to be looking at today was called Fatigue Resistance is Altered During High Hormone Phase of Eumenorrhinic Females But Not Oral Contraceptive Users. First author Lee, last author Pfeiffer, and it was in Medicine and Science and Sports and Exercise. And this was one of these growing number of articles we see just trying to tease out what are the difference in what's the difference in performance between the different parts of, of the cycle and what's the difference in other aspects in ones such as carbohydrate utilization is come up regularly uh, and for those of you who remember the ISSN guidelines on uh, female nutrition advice there's just that creeping uh, sort of starting to come in of maybe we need to be a bit more nuanced an area for lots of lots more research requirements but maybe there's a requirement for extra carbohydrates during certain parts of the cycle and clearly this is going to be different for everyone depending on their age their training regime personal preferences their carbohydrate tolerance etc but just an idea it's something we should be thinking about and we'll maybe building into a training program if extra carbohydrates aren't an option a change in the type of training over that period might be helpful so this was 20 well-trained cyclists so not elite athletes vo2 about 45 and they looked at people on normal menstrual cycle and those on a combined pill obviously controlling their cycle and the most interesting bit they were looking at sort of an frt session and wanting to see what what changes there were in there and what they found was that there was a change in the carbohydrate oxidation so greater use of your carbs what they found interestingly which probably backs up what a lot of people will say is actually there wasn't a big difference in the performance part so what can we take away from this why are we still doing trials and they're using 17 people i i just use it as if an athlete's feeling they're needing more support saying actually i struggle during this these particular phases or i think there's been this change when i've started on this this type of pill i tend to use it to say to them look there is evidence for this you, you should be talking to your coach about it there are things we can try we don't know, have any certainties there but we should be paying attention to how you're feeling and and support and using it as a tool to support an athlete. The next article was included just because it caught my eye and, and, and looked quite quite good fun. It was in Sports Medicine. It was called Acute Effects of Ad Libitum Use of Commercially Available Cannabis Products on the Subjective Experience of Aerobic Exercise. First author Gibson, last author DeBrian. And essentially they just gave people some cannabis and said do do you fit in with the, when you take this as you match the stereotype of sedentary behavior or actually uh, it doesn't make no difference to your um, exercising um, but unfortunately they didn't do any particular assessments of their ability to exercise it was much more just a, a look at how did you enjoy it how did it feel and 
I think if you were to ask any of us to guess, we would all answer and say, well, I imagine they felt pretty chilled during the run. They didn't get too upset during it, uh, but maybe they they found it a bit harder than, than they might have done normally, which was exactly what it reflected. Whilst in the UK, cannabis habits are kind of fairly steady and you could guess that it wouldn't be that unusual for your teenager early 20 year olds to regularly be exposed to it and probably not your elite athletes who are being tested but but your kind of uh, weekend warriors and useful to, to be able to say what are the what are the negatives there so what i really want to be able to say to them is is this going to have obviously beyond the fact that they may be spoken is this going to have an impact on your ability to perform or, or your health so vaping arguments aside and smoking arguments aside what's the actual impact of cannabis another just quick one now so this was called carbohydrate nutrition and skill performance in soccer and this was also published in sports medicine and i I, it, it almost left me wondering are they struggling to get enough articles in because this was a a nice, well-written review on where does carbohydrate fit in in sport and soccer in particular. And I'm sure anyone that's worked with with so, uh, athletes that do skill work will be well aware of the different arguments. Um, is it is it required for the different training types, especially in the older players? Probably not. It might even be a, a bit unhelpful towards being pro-inflammatory, these very high high kind of carbohydrate diets and actually maybe there's a an argument for for changing your training to reduce your carbohydrate and certainly in these older athletes with with ongoing injuries who, who already have a very high skill level and the flip side is in your younger athletes maybe giving their need to perform giving their need to get selected they want to be performing at their peak all the time and backing them up in that and advising them correctly is where, where that comes in this doesn't really break it down particularly into that much detail it just says you'll do better in a skill sport if you're if you're well fueled yeah you will do yeah absolutely you won't work the pathways and, and develop the pathways that you would if you were doing it in a fasted state, especially if it was low-intensity skill work. But they don't really cover that here. But the, the bit that really caught me was the, just the authors from the Gatorade Sports Science Institute. And, and I think my, my, my issue is, is not so much that, again, very happy to admit these are all fantastic scientists and far better at their job than I am at mine. But should sports medicine editors be accepting someone from Gatorade Sports Institute publishing uh, an advice article for people like me to to gain improved understanding that's been written by Gatorade Sports Science. Uh, Is there a conflict of interest there? Uh, The final article and the the most interesting one and probably the hardest one to to, to work around was in the Journal of of International Society of Sports Nutrition. Now, they've been looking a lot at microbiome. I'm sure some of you might have seen the ISSN um, microbiome guidelines that they put out, which were were very detailed. And one of the the areas where there was clearly a lot missing, and I think they sort of did flag up in it, this is an area for work, was something we'd, we'd covered a wee while back. But we'd actually been looking at sort of veterinary articles when we did it. And it's this idea that in the veterinary world, in the elite veterinary world, and and just in the the farming world, it's understood that microbiome impacts protein absorption in building muscle. Now, whether or not that's racing a horse or trying to to sell an animal on market, that's really important. 
And so there's plenty of these animal models showing it does have an impact and the things that you may be able to, to do about it. And obviously they've got far more complicating factors in with the, depending on the country, where the, the, the animals are being reared, sort of what they may be eating, microbials they may be exposed to routinely and, and other things they may be exposed to routinely. So we've been saying it would be nice to get something a little clearer about what's the, what's the impact on people because in two ways one the the ability of the gut to break down food so you can absorb it is hugely dependent on your microbiome and two the ability the pathways that this sort of the byproducts and the not non non-digestible food uh, go down in your gut have a key impact on lots of different areas, whether or not it's amino acid production, serotonin production. Surely there must be something in there about how that can impact your ability to perform in sport and put on muscle and train and recover, etc. So this was looking at protein absorption and skeletal muscle mass. There was only 20 athletes, elite male water polo players, a number of different positions. I was a little disappointed not to get more detail on them. It's, it seems it's one of those articles where their life seems to start at the beginning of the study and end at the end of the study. But these were these were elite players doing at the highest level, most of which had been doing their sport for 15 years. So it would have been nice to see a bit more about Past, past diets they, they've done, the types of training they've done in the past, recent injuries, and kind of a little bit more detail on performance level uh, at the moment would also be, be nice. Past probiotic use I thought would be really important, past exposure to antimicrobials. I haven't had a chance to dig through all the additional information, so apologies to the authors if it's in there. So they took these 20 guys and they split that into one group where they gave a vegan protein supplement, so here, yeah, really useful to know what the, what protein they're used to, uh, but we don't really get that. Uh, or the other group was a vegan protein supplement and probiotic solution. And uh, the argument being that, okay, should there be, with, with the probiotic solution, a change in the microbiome that will improve absorption? Now, the, the challenge for this study is that it does do probiotic, probiotic solutions um, across the board change everyone's microbiome? No. Uh, they they might they will cause a short term change, but they won't cause a long term change. And in many people, they won't have any effect. It depends on your pre existing microbiome. So, uh, ambitious study in in one way. You probably need quite high numbers to be seeing what you what you want. So, probably needed to be bigger. I was also disappointed that there wasn't another control group not having protein, not having protein and the probiotic just continuing continuing with their normal normal meal and, and assessing them um, but I can understand if, if you've only been able to get 20 elite people together having a third group is going to be really challenging so so not a complete study but actually I really really liked it otherwise I thought the microbiome work was really good I thought they did attempt to standardize everything really well which is so difficult in these studies they had a look at the function and tried to not not that wasn't the sort of the highest levels of working out a sort of microbiome function but they had a go at trying to link it link it in and look at the function which is really key because it's the 
what we're starting to get more and more from the sort of microbiome experts is actually the diversity maybe isn't as important as we thought and, and maybe fairly static over long periods of time with, with kind of short-term changes all the time. So measuring in the short-term, maybe not very useful. Um, but what goes on to the function and actually the function can change uh, without obvious changes in diversity. So what did they find? So they, they found that there wasn't much change in the the diversity the alpha diversity which kind of what we would guess from just giving people some probiotics and some extra protein especially if they're i'm going to assume athletes that have had healthy varied diets leading to what we expect to see in athletes elite athletes microbiomes which is is quite a significant diversity anyway what they found was that the the skeletal mass Body cell mass answer comes from protein mass increased, while body fat decreased in the intervention group that had the probiotics in addition to the protein supplement. And only particularly significant in the, the muscle mass and the protein mass. But the fact they managed to pick it up in 20 people, I think, was really interesting. Um, then, in addition, they, they, they sort of commented on some of the changes whilst there weren't changes in diversity they felt that, that, that some of the pathways did significantly change um, in the some of the relative abundance particularly with this butrate producing species which butrate is that, that word you'll have heard again and again about what's what's important in the function and what do we like to hear being produced um, with a, a significant change in, in the abundance of butrate species there so um I have to be honest, I wasn't expecting them to find something significant in such a small study with with probiotics, which are, which are compared to kind of including fecal transplant, it's 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 so in, normally so ineffective. So really interesting. What will I take a, away from it? I'll probably Google the 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 protein that they used. Always on the lookout for good vegan proteins, and this this seems a decent vegan protein from the, the the workup they've done in it i will have a good google of the probiotic supplement because again it's very hard to find one that's actually of a good enough standard anything that's produced outside your home for a sort of a probiotic rather than you making a sort of fermented yogurt or milk etc you have no control over how long it's been sitting around and and the way the way modern production systems work. Remember the, you know, I'm sure you remember those papers showing that many, many of the probiotic products, when they've actually then stuck them on a on a plate to see what's still alive, it all died a long time ago in a warehouse. So, first of all, it's always good to have some brands that have been tested during a good study, and it makes me far more likely to recommend those brands to athletes. I suppose the main thing I'll take away is I'm often looking for ways to support vegan athletes. So my worry is always, are you are you getting in enough protein? Are you being careful enough with the way you're getting your food in? And, and obviously, are you getting your key amino acids in and, and leucine being the most important? And what can we do to support you in that? Because you've made this decision, you are also an elite athlete, how can we make this work better? And I would be pointing in the direction of this article, I think, because it's... It's well done. It shows a, a significant change. And fine, I'm not sure with those numbers, I believe it will work for everyone. But it certainly didn't didn't have a negative effect on them. And 
I think it, it may be the sort of thing that some athletes find just, just wanting to have a little bit of support and give them a bit more confidence in what they're doing. And I would, I would, I'd, I'd send them, send them this way. So that's all we're going to cover this week. Hope you have a great rest of the week. And we've got a few more articles coming up on the horizon. So hopefully not quite so long before the, uh, before the next podcast. Thanks very much. Bye.